next, we're going to be wrapping up our study of the kingdom of God. We haven't exhausted the subject, trust me, but we're going to uh, end these two weeks just by understanding our identity in the kingdom of God. I hope by now you have a, a working understanding of what the kingdom of God is all about and how it changes everything. The kingdom of God is God's reign through his people over his creation. We've discovered that the kingdom of God began in creation. It continues today through God's loving and gracious reign through his people as, as people place their faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and make him king of their life. And his kingship allows all things to flourish and to be restored back to God's desired plan for all of creation. As we begin to, to understand that what the kingdom of God is all about, it changes how we live our daily lives and the way that we love those around us. It truly should change everything. The kingdom of God becomes a filter by which we see the world around us and as well as how we find our identity and purpose in life. It reminds us of how God intended life and our relationship with him to be. Over these final two weeks, we want to recognize our identity within the kingdom of God and how this changes everything. Jeremy Treat in his book, Seek First, that we've been using as a, a good resource for this entire series. He comments that many who've decided to follow Jesus still haven't yet truly found their identity in the kingdom of God. He writes, many Christians wake up every day having forgotten who we are in Christ. We work tirelessly to construct our own identity through our accomplishments and well-curated social media accounts. We believe in Jesus, but forget about the new identity that we've been given by him. And despite the fact that identity is one of the most versed topics in our culture today, more people than ever are confused over who they are. I found it ironic that as we've been studying about the kingdom of God, there's been quite a drama playing out in the media and the news about the British royal family. You're probably aware that Prince Harry and his wife Meghan have decided that they're going to forgo their participation in the royal family and remove themselves of all responsibilities. They have found a, a new identity outside of that structure. I hope the parallel that you might see in your life and mine is the growing dissatisfaction we have by attempting to find our identity in the things of this world rather than in the things of the kingdom of God. Treat says the search for identity is real, but most of the things we choose to build our identity on are fleeting. If you build your identity on your reputation, that can be undone with a single tweet. If you base your identity on money, an economic downturn can mean personal failure. If your identity is dependent on your career, one bad decision can bring it all crashing down. The kingdom of God brings a different way to think about identity. The creation account reminds us that we are all created in God's image, each person having value and dignity in God's sight, regardless of ethnicity or gender or socioeconomic status or what we can even contribute to this society. Our identity is not something that we achieve, but what we receive. We find ourselves as part of God's story. We're not subject or servants. We are sons and daughters. 
I mentioned two weeks ago that my favorite illustration in the Bible to describe what God created us to experience and to contribute in the kingdom of God is family. We don't get to choose our family, who we're born into, but it shapes everything. And our identity is dramatically impacted by our family, our physical appearance, our personality, even those endless little quirks we all have, all those come from our family. Even our values and perspective on life heavily influenced by our family. I know when I begin to talk about the influence family has on our lives, there are many of us who grew up in a a godly home with parents who provided a healthy, encouraging environment, a spiritual environment that has brought many benefits to our life. But I'm also well aware that there are many others who have not had a healthy, positive experience when it comes to family. And there are many hurts and wounds from this. I have good news for all of us. Our inclusion in the family of God is based on God's pursuit of us. Several places in Scripture refer to this as being adopted by God. I may have told you this already, but I am one of four children. My oldest sister and my older brother were both adopted. My sister was adopted at birth by my parents. My older brother was adopted about 18 months into his life. And many times throughout our growing up years, I would say to my older sister and brother, I think mom and dad love you more. And they would always debate that and say like, you know, why do you think that? And I would always say, because they chose you. You see, they were just stuck with me and my younger brother, but they they chose my sister and brother. And I think that should begin to shape our perspective and our identity when it comes to the fact of knowing that God loves us because he chose us. Bree read from this passage earlier, but Paul says these words in Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for the adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he's freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. This passage is jam-packed about how God feels about us. It reveals our true identity. We are blessed with every spiritual blessing. We are chosen. We're made holy and blameless. We're adopted. We're redeemed. We're forgiven. We are lavishly loved. We are purposed for all good things. If you will look back at this passage sometime from Ephesians 1, you'll notice where our identity as sons and daughters comes from. It comes from being in Christ, united with Christ. In fact, the New Testament uses that phrase over 250 times. Treat says, union with Christ is not just another doctrine to believe, it's a paradigm shift. It's a different way of understanding how we receive the immeasurable riches of God's grace. 
Paul says these immeasurable riches have been lavished on us. They've been showered upon us. Not scattered showers like we have to go around and collect them all, but we've received everything that we need. All the love, acceptance, forgiveness, and purpose we could ever long for. All we were created for in Christ. Picture it like standing under a waterfall and just letting the water wash over you. Being in Christ is the source of every spiritual blessing and the foundation of our identity as sons and daughters of God. Our identity is unshakable. It is secure because it's not based on something of this world that is temporal. It's not based on something that we can achieve or that could be lost. It's not based on something that we can prove or manipulate. It's not based on anything we have or have not done. It's solely based on Jesus. All the other religions in the world focus on making us into something that we are not. But Christianity focuses on making us into what we were created to be. It's not about what we do. It's about what Christ did. Treat says, when I feel like I'm not wanted, by faith I know that in Christ I am. I may not always feel righteous, but in Christ I am. We need faith to believe not only what is true about God, but also to believe what God says is true about ourselves. In chapter 8, I'd encourage you to read that this week if you're reading along with us through Seek First. On page 150, Tree provides an awesome chart that speaks about who we are as sons and daughters of God, who we are in Christ, our true identity. It's a similar list that we provide actually here at Crossroads through one of our experiences called Freedom Prayer. I know many of you have participated in a Freedom Prayer experience, and you've been reminded of your true identity in Christ. I'd encourage if you are not familiar with Freedom Prayer, you would check out our website, cccgo.com forward slash Freedom Prayer. You can even sign up for a Freedom Prayer experience. But I'd like to share with you some of just a few of these words that describe our identity, who we are in Christ. In Christ, I am accepted. I am a child of God. I've been bought with a price. I belong to God. I've been adopted as God's child. I've been redeemed and forgiven of all my sins. I am complete in Christ. In Christ, I am secure. I am free from condemnation. I can find grace and mercy in my time of need. I am significant. I am the salt and light of the earth. I am a minister of reconciliation for God. I am God's workmanship. I may approach God with freedom and confidence. The complete listing is available for you at cccgo.com forward slash info. I'd encourage you to take that list and look up the scriptures and where they're found. In Christ is where we find our true identity as sons and daughters of God. The temptation in the garden with Adam and Eve, Satan tried to doubt God's image and as well as the image that they were created in. It was the same temptation that Satan gave to Jesus in the desert. If you remember, right after Jesus was baptized, there was a, a voice from heaven that said, this is my son, whom I love, in him I'm well pleased. And immediately Jesus was led into the desert to be tempted by the devil face to face. And what the devil tried to tempt him with was doubting God's existence, doubting God's character, and doubting who he was in God. 
Satan uses that same attack on us today. He causes us to doubt our king and the role that we have in the kingdom of God. It's important to remember that God is our father. He's a good and perfect father, and we are his sons and daughters. Treat speaks of God being the king as someone who encourages both reverence and intimacy. Reverence without intimacy leads to just cold submission. Intimacy without reverence leads to just sentimentalism. As sons and daughters of the king, both are essential in our relationship with our heavenly father. God is our father and king is worthy of our reverence because he is strong, powerful, holy, mighty, sovereign. Yet he approaches us with intimacy through his heart of love, compassion, and mercy. Treat says, if you're in Christ, your identity is not something you have to work for or wait for because you are already a son or daughter of the king. Ironically, it's when we stop obsessing over ourselves and start looking to Christ that we discover who we truly are. And then he says, if this royal identity is who we truly are already, then we no longer need to work at securing our identity, but must learn how to live out this identity. So let me help us. If we truly want to live out our identity as sons and daughters, we must recognize as sons and daughters, we are heirs. When Paul says that we've received every spiritual blessing in Christ because we've been adopted as his sons and daughters, we, he's indicating, as it does throughout Scripture, that we are heirs. Galatians 4, Paul tells the Galatians, when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his heirs, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has also made you an heir. That idea of sonship and heir means that we are entitled to everything that our father has. He's entrusted everything that he has to us. I learned something this past week about adoption, especially in the first century. Adoptions in the first century were typically not adopting of children. It was actually an adoption of adults. Powerful people or wealthy people would choose an adult to be their child so that they would be able to entrust them their power, their influence, and their wealth in the next generation. As adopted into God's family, we are brought into a kingdom with full child status. The new status is part of the family with all the benefits as well as the responsibilities, therefore. It's a place of privilege and position. Paul says to the Romans, the spirit you receive does not make you a slave so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, we, if we are children, we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Did you notice in both those passages, it uses the same name to refer to God as Father, Abba. It's an intimate term, much like saying Daddy. Somebody once asked, what's the favorite noise or sound you have ever heard? Some people would say, well, it's the birds chirping when spring is in the air, right? Some could say, like, it's a, a laugh of a baby. Somebody also said it's those pitter-patter of feet when I pull into the garage and open the door that come running to the door and say, Daddy, with arms up, reaching up. 
Well, that should be what we think about when we think about being sons and daughters of, the God, of God. In the same way that Jesus used this same name for God, Abba, when he prayed to him in the garden, we have that same relationship with the same God. We should feel the very same affections from the very same Father because we belong to the very same family. We have the same Holy Spirit living in us that lived in Jesus. And therefore, we're united with him as family, co-heirs with Christ. You know, an heir can be either grateful or entitled. I hope that when we've looked at all we've received in Christ, my prayer is that we would respond with gratitude, that we'd be grateful, we'd be generous. We'd steward and extend the riches of God to the world around us. I think it's awesome. This week we're celebrating the one-year anniversary of our commitment to help transform a village in Kenya, Africa by adopting a kid, sponsoring a kid. That's amazing to me that it was the last thing we did in person a year ago. And man, what a powerful way to celebrate that today. Over 240 children were sponsored. And that's not just transforming their life, but also the community around them. If you are a family from Crossroads and you are sponsoring a, a child, we would encourage you to stop out in the atrium. We have some letter writing kits that we'd love to send home with you today so that you could communicate with that child that you've been praying for, that you are financially sponsoring. And if you hear all this talk about sponsoring a kid and you're kind of interested, you'd like to know more about it, check out our website at cccgo.com forward slash sponsor. You can find out more information there. Because we are sons and daughters of God, we live as heirs. We tell everyone everywhere about our daddy. We want every person to join his family. As sons and daughters, we are heirs, but we are also ambassadors. So I have two daughters. My oldest and youngest are both daughters. And we've developed this like lingo that I, I use to hopefully disciple their heart and just to keep their mind focused on, on who they are in Christ. Anytime they leave the house to go out on a date or to spend time with friends, I say to them a simple phrase, remember whose you are. In fact, it's gotten to a place where I can text them and say, remember dot, 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 and they'll text back whose I am. I do that to remember, remind them that they represent our family everywhere they go, everything that they do. Whether they're inside our house or outside their house, they're a representation of our family. But also, I want them to never forget that they have a heavenly father that they represent everywhere they go. An ambassador is a representative of another person. This person has authority to act on behalf of that person as royalty. As sons and daughters of a king, we have a responsibility, and that's to help bring God's reign to this whole world. We keep coming back to this reality that the kingdom of God is about God's reign through his people. This royal responsibility came into effect when Adam and Eve were entrusted with stewarding all of creation, and it continues today through God's people. You and I are authorized, we're commissioned to represent God, the king. While not every person is a child of the king, not every person is a child of God, only those who have placed their faith in Jesus as Savior and surrendered to his lordship. Those of us who have, we must live with purpose. Our identity and our purpose in Christ, they're inseparable. 
Paul describes it this way in 2 Corinthians 5. He says, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. And all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he's committed to us the message of reconciliation. And therefore, we are Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you then, on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Reconciling people back to God is what it looks like for God's rule and reign to be restored. We are extending God's loving rule and reign on his behalf to all the world. And scripture equates the role of royalty and priesthood. They both have the same responsibility. Peter said it this way. You are chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. Dear friends, Peter says, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from the sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Did you hear all those words that identify our identity and our purpose? Chosen, royal priesthood, holy nation, God's special possession. All those come with privilege and responsibility to declare God's praises, to represent him by reflecting his character, to live and love the way that he does. If we're children of God, it should be obvious by the way that we behave. So let me ask you, where do you find your identity? It might be identified by the way that you introduce yourself. When you meet somebody for the first time, how do you introduce yourself? I could say, well, I'm Phil, I'm the son of Bruce and Dorothy. Hey, I'm Phil, I'm the, uh, the brother of Rebecca, Mark, and Seth. Hi, I'm Phil, I'm the husband of Christy. I'm the father of Jenna, Kate, and Kendall. Hey, I'm Phil, I'm the lead pastor at Crossroads Christian Church. What do you recognize about yourself that you want other people to know? It might be a strong indicator of just where you find your identity. Sad but true, we also identify our identity in the things that People have said to us or about us that ring in our ears sometimes louder than anything else. You know those words that come to your mind when you look in the mirror. You'll never be good enough. You can't do this job. Nobody likes you. Nobody wants to listen to you. It'll never get any better. You're not the right person for this job. Those are just a few of the words I hear on a regular basis. And if not careful... They become to be an identity that I find in my heart that's from the pit of hell. And I'm not immune to that, nor are you. So I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you to let the voice of truth bring the identity to you that is really true about who you are. It's true about who God is. It's true about how he's created you. Don't let the voice of the evil one continue to speak lies to you, telling you that you are not this or not that. Let the voice of truth remind you who your father is and that your identity is his 
child. You're a son and daughter of the king. If I could choose to be identified in just one way, child of God is perfect. Child of God is just right. Child of God is all I need. I'd encourage you to take some time this afternoon and walk back through that list that we showed you earlier about who we truly are as a child of God. Ask God to affirm to you once again who he is and who you are as his child, a son or daughter of the king, an heir who has been adopted into the family and given all the rights and privileges as Jesus, an ambassador who has purpose to restore all things back to the way God intended them to be. And then live in the confidence that you know who God is as your father and you know who you are to him. You know, if you've never made a decision to become part of God's family, I would just encourage you to stop running because God is pursuing you. Everything to this point in your life, God is doing to show you how much he loves you, the plan he has for your life, and to welcome you into his family. So say yes to his invitation to be part of his family, part of the kingdom of God. If you want to know more about that, I simply encourage you to text the word now to 812-858-8668. Let us know that you want to know more about how to become part of God's family. Or let us come alongside you as you try to identify who you are in Christ. It's something that we all need God's word and each other to remind ourselves of on a regular basis. When we truly understand and live as sons and daughters of the king, It truly changes everything. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for who you are. And thank you for revealing yourself in many ways, God. One of the things I love about spring is it it declares your power, your creativity. It reminds us that you're the creator. You're the source of all things. You're the source of our life and every spiritual blessing we have in this life. God, everything we have in this life is from you. God, you've given it to us because You love us as a father loves his child. You want the best for us. You're working for our good. God, that we are chosen by you and and lavished lovingly upon so that we could become all that you created us to be. God, my prayer is that we would stop listening to the lies, whether they're inside our head or from an outside source, God, that when we look in the mirror, when we introduce ourselves, we have confidence to know that we're a child of the king. And God, I pray it wouldn't just be something that that we know, it would be something that we live. It would be a way that, that changes the way that we live. God, that other people would notice this person lives with confidence. This person lives with humility. God, this person lives with love. This person lives with patience. And it's all because we've surrendered our life to you as king, and we're representing you to the world around us. God, I pray that they would bear fruit. It would bear fruit for your kingdom. It would change the world around us. You be glorified. I pray that through the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.